0: SoundPrints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. SoundPrints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushival. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is SoundPrints for the week of December 27, 2015. It's the last week of the year and time to take a look back at some of the things that have been happening over the past 12 months, But first, here's an easy recipe from Patty Cox for an appetizer or snack that's perfect for your New Year's Eve celebration. It's called cheese bombs. Use one can of Grand's biscuits, either the large or small can, depending on how many appetizers you need. Cut the biscuits in half and flatten on a surface. Chop some mozzarella cheese and another type of cheese, such as garlic and herb, or another Italian cheese that happens to be your favorite. Mix the cheeses together and put some in the middle of each biscuit. Wrap the dough around it. Spray the bottom of a pan and put the balls in the pan. Combine one tablespoon of olive oil, one teaspoon of parsley, and a half teaspoon of minced garlic and a little basil or pesto. Brush on top of each biscuit. Pop them in the oven for 15 to 20 minutes or until lightly browned. You'll want to set your oven to 350 degrees. Be sure and serve them when they come out of the oven They're best hot. So many things have happened in 2015. ACB and attorneys Linda Dardarian and Lainey Feingold announced a structured negotiation agreement with Humana concerning talking prescription labels and access to Humana insurance information. ACB also announced an exciting new partnership with Microsoft concerning accessibility to Windows products and operating systems. ACB released its new app, ACB Link, available free in the App Store for iPhones and iPads. ACB Executive Director Melanie Brunson retired on September 30, and Eric Bridges became the new ACB Executive Director on November 1. Melanie just couldn't stand retirement, however, so she went to work as the Advocate and Legislative Liaison for the Blinded Veterans Association on October 26. Dr. Tuck Tinsley announced that he would be retiring as president of the American Printing House for the Blind at the end of 2015. And Dr. Craig Matter, former principal of the Washington State School for the Blind, will be the new APH president beginning in January of 2016. The KSB alumni celebrated its 70th reunion, and for the first time in the history of the alumni, the Reunion was not held on the campus of the Kentucky School for the Blind. The Greater Louisville Council began its education and technology activities and its crafts and game nights last January. At first, education was on Tuesday and games on Friday, but we soon found that it was too expensive for people to come to both nights. The solution was to combine them into one activity with ed tech and a general discussion topic, from 3.30 to 6, and then dinner, followed by games and crafts. Now we call these activities roundabouts, and they happen most Fridays at United Crescent Hill Ministries. We hoped for 10 people each week, and we have been pleasantly surprised to find that most weeks we have between 20 and 25 people. The Kentucky Council of the Blind celebrated 50 golden years of affiliation with ACB at our 2015 conference and convention. ACB President Kim Charlson was our outstanding national guest, and the convention was packed with good programming, information, and fun. Two members of the KCB board termed out this last November. Patty Cox and Debbie Dethridge each completed two consecutive two-year terms as director on the board. Shirley Stivers of Bellevue and Amanda Selm from the Next Generation Chapter here in Louisville were elected to the board for the first time to fill these director seats. Dave and Deb Trevino have begun editing many of our more popular and significant sound prints features from the past. These files will be downloadable from the KCB website and they'll be arranged in topics such as advocacy, technology, travel, and so forth so you can find them easily. The first two such files are included in this sound prints. On page two, you'll find the interview with Eric Bridges concerning the 25th anniversary of the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. We chose that feature from August because of the tremendous impact the ADA has had on all of our lives since its passage in 1990. On page three, we bring you the Trevino's edited version of our most popular feature of the year, Brian Charlson's review of the new Apple Watch and on page 4 is the sound prince calendar
1: page 2 eric bridges discusses the changes brought about by the ada since its passage in 1990 as well as the work that still needs to be done eric was the director of external relations and policy for acb when this interview was recorded for the august 9th 2015 edition of sound prince
2: undoubtedly the ADA's had a very significant impact on the lives of of people with disabilities but the community that we care about the blind and visually impaired communities has benefited from the advocacy that many of our leaders put into the bill that became law and then regulations back in 1990 so the concept of actually being able to independently identify which floor you're going to go to when you get on an elevator, the Braille, in places of public accommodation like buildings, hotel rooms. Not really sure how blind people got around so independently in hotels um, before this. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, muscle memory with regard to what a printed number looked like. Um when running your fingers over that. But there's been a lot of good things, uh, you know, stuff uh, dealing with uh, just being able to travel.
0: Um, yeah, I the, will tell you that I was convention coordinator for five years back in the 80s. And um, at the beginning of the conventions, we used to go around and put demo tape on all the sleeping room doors. That is a lot of Dymo tape. And then you'd get the tape on, and before people came in, some of the other guests would come along and peel some off to have for souvenirs. (laughs) (laughs) So you were constantly having to fix the Dymo tape.
2: Getting back to the travel, you know, hotels, Mm -hmm. but then also for folks that have guide dogs, um, the assurance that, that they would have equal rights to be Uh, in a place of public accommodation with their guide dog um, is a big deal. And some of this is kind of interesting. There were some states ahead of the signing of the ADA that actually incorporated some of these rights through state legislation. And, in fact, Virginia was one of those states that wound up being sort of a mini-ADA. But having all that stuff today, we sort of... Well, I I think we do uh, take it for granted because it's it's become ubiquitous. Um, And uh, it it simply wasn't the case, and I am of a generation where, in 1990, I was in sixth grade and I had not lost all my vision, so I have no frame of reference for what life was like for blind people, Um, in particular working-age blind people. Before... The ADA became a law and was implemented through regulation.
0: There was a huge difference in availability of transportation. You know, paratransit was just getting started, and it was optional. Uh, It was not required until the ADA came around. Into the 80s and late 70s, for example, the Kentucky Council of the Blind um, had classes and activities for people, and we actually owned our own van and then later a station wagon and paid a driver, and they went around and picked people up because there was virtually no transportation for people in many parts of the area that today are covered by paratransit.
2: It's astonishing how much better things have gotten Mm -hmm. with regard to transportation and all the things that we've been been talking about, but right. you know, that sort of highlights where you know we need things to continue to improve even more than what they have. Absolutely, there are a lot of cuts in paratransit funding across the country and municipalities. And I'm uh, fortunate to live in a major metropolitan area, which affords me the opportunity to use different modes of transportation. Um, which folks that live in the Midwest or parts of the south, or just in less populated areas, don't have that option. They have one option, and sometimes it's kind of a cruddy option. It's a less reliable option. And so that's, you know, that's an area where things need to continue to improve. And I, I would also say, you know, this law that we got signed by the president in October of 2010, the, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, was... and and remains the most comprehensive piece of legislation for what it does for providing access to information and communication services for people who are blind or visually impaired as well as people who are deaf and deafblind. It's, uh, It's a truly remarkable law. It's only probably second to the ADA in the last 25 years for what it does for people with disabilities in a real practical sort of way. One of the challenges with this law is it makes, you know, the manufacturers of handset devices, you know, cell phones, smartphones, it requires them to be accessible. Um, it requires them to have a, an accessible email client as well as an accessible internet browser on the on the device. But once you double tap or whatever you do on the <laughs> <laughs> Which will, with whatever device you've got, once you access the Internet on that browser, it'll, you'll go to a website. Well, that website isn't covered by the CBAA. And in fact, that website, whether it's uh, an airline, nah, an airline site, that's not a good example, but uh, let's say an e commerce site or uh, some other. Website that you're going to to access information, that that's not covered by the CVAA, and it's not it's 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 hard to say what it's covered by. There are arguments that it's covered by the ADA because of uh, what the Department of Justice has weighed in on in years past with regard to accessing commerce over the internet but that hasn't been stalled out. And one of the things that is extraordinarily frustrating for us advocates in Washington is that five years ago, the Department of Justice released what is called an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, which means the Department of Justice was interested, and hopefully still is interested, in looking at how the ADA applies to Website and the advance notice means that they were starting at the very, very, very beginning of the process. They did it for the 20th anniversary of the ADA. And over the last five years, how much do you think has actually happened with that notice of proposed rulemaking?
0: <laughs> uh, now, not much.
2: much. <laughs> now, that's not to say that, that the Department of Justice hasn't weighed in on certain complaints and other cases dealing with website accessibility. However, they have not taken action on their own proposed rulemaking. As I said, it's frustrating, but it's also, in some ways, very angering and very awkward and uncomfortable for not just uh, advocates, but, but for companies as well, because there's not something that's clearly defined for Mm -hmm. them to Mm -hmm. be able to to come into compliance. Mm -hmm. We all are aware that there are international standards that are accepted by many companies for how to make a website accessible. Um, But what needs to be done is there needs to be leadership from the Department of Justice in stepping out and saying, okay here's what you need to do. And it doesn't necessarily even need to be a step-by-step process, right? It doesn't need to be, here's what you need to do right now, this place and time, because that, as we all know, technology moves on. But there does need to be some sense of what is expected of companies when building a website or when uh, modifying or updating a website. Um, Some sort of expectation is to, what some baseline standards are, mm-hmm. so that we can have equal access. There's been this sort of refrain that you know technology is it levels the playing field. Yes, it does <laughs> to a certain extent. It does.
0: Right, but um, certainly not but completely.
2: Exactly, and so this is one area where uh, I'll just I'll just say it. I feel like the Department of Justice saw an opportunity to um, do something splashy, to to claim that they really were going to look into something Mm -hmm. at the 20th anniversary. They've never really followed through. Now, I understand that industry had and probably still has some concerns about moving forward with this. Uh, But the Department of Justice clearly doesn't care about industry and certain other rulings (laughs) (laughs) and certain other uh, investigations that they've conducted in areas outside the disability community. Uh, the, the, The longer we go without some sort of reasonable standards or requirements, the more issues our community is going to encounter with websites that maybe had been accessible at one point, and then the company decided to update the site, and accessibility was broken.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's stuff like that. And we're moving closer, at least with uh, Section 508
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, regs. At least it, it's looking like we may have some final regs wait uh, this year. So <laughs> that would be good, and it would be nice if there were similar things adopted or considered to be put in a final reg from the department of justice
0: yeah yeah it would be and there's always more work to be done we we talked about the problems with transportation when you get out into the rural areas the problems are huge and you know the idea that the transportation just needs to be equal to the public transportation well in rural areas there is no public transportation and so you have nothing. And if you don't drive a car, you're just stuck. I don't know what the answer is with the rural transportation. There's really not a way to um, to say we're going to make it just equal to what's already out there because there there isn't any public transportation available for sighted people in an area that It doesn't have enough population to have a bus. Sometimes they don't have enough people to have a cab, but there definitely needs to be some options, something to address some of the issues related to intercity transportation as well. And um, there's just issues that may or may not be ADA-related, but certainly are um, related to leveling the playing field and making it possible for blind people to get around Uh, You know, you can't hold a job in some rural areas because you can't get to it.
2: It's one of those, it's like the chicken and egg scenario where you have um, people who are blind or visually impaired living in rural areas, much of the time because it is less expensive um, to live there. There's a lower cost of living. They're able to, to, you know, potentially own a home or have a, a larger, you know, space to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenge then becomes, okay, transportation, how am I going to get to the grocery store? How am I going get, to get to the pharmacy? But how am I going to get to work? Yes. And, um, you know, the, the employment situation is one that is a sort of a multi-pronged challenge. I mean, you've got transportation. You have, you know, sort of the accessibility of technology which still, it's gotten much, much better, and I'm not saying that it hasn't, but there's still a ways to go um, to ensure, and, and websites are, is one key area. I mean, that, that not only exists for employment, but also for education. True. But you still, you know, and, and, and the ADA wrote in some areas about, you know, discrimination. hmm um, And unfortunately, there still is discrimination that goes on. Um, by employers. You know, when they're looking to hire and they see somebody come in with a cane or a guide dog, um, there is still discrimination that occurs. And right. So how, how do we deal with all these issues as well, well as some issues uh, that, that probably don't even pertain <laughs> to, the, to the, well, they don't pertain to the ADA, but, right. you know, entitlement programs and people living on entitlement programs that are, frankly, scared to get off of them.
0: Even in the the metropolitan areas, in an area where the eighty um, eight three quarter mile limit is imposed um, strictly, you know it can be a real problem to to get around to get to work. Something changes, the bus route changes, and all of a sudden you're out of the paratransit area. Okay. There's a lot of work still to be done in many many areas, but as you pointed out, we have come a very long way in the last 25 years hopefully it will be a little easier to address some of these issues but none none of them are going to be addressed all at once i think you pointing out the the cvaa from 2010 is really it's a great point because if we could think in terms of would that would that have happened without the ada um you know it probably not or it, it may have been much more difficult to have gotten a bill like that um, without having the ADA preceded you know 20 years before
2: no I totally agree uh, yeah. you know the ADA um, has provided sort of the, the foundation for yeah um, <clears throat> for a bill like the CVAA mm-hmm. and and others that have dealt yeah. with specific communities. You know, the ADA wasn't meant to be the panacea. Wasn't right. wasn't meant to have right. all of the answers in it uh, for the disability community. Yeah. It helped to provide some some very fundamental, solid rights for individuals with disabilities that are sort of foundational. But it, it, it could not, the, the folks that worked on it could not, and, you know, uh, wouldn't have been able to see the future and and what was going to happen in our country, what was going to happen with regard to uh, technology and transportation and other aspects.
0: Um, Yeah, a a couple of other examples might be, and some might be sort of unrelated, but I I still think that they happened more easily because of the ADA. And one could be the change in the copyright law that made um, reading materials much more accessible to people with vision issues and print print issues and we could also think in terms of other things not just legislation but maybe court cases like um, acb's success with getting the uh, social security administration via the courts to provide information in braille and other accessible formats or um, you know the accessible currency case i mean there's all kinds of things that we could point to but you know, they had to start somewhere, and we could even go back prior to the ADA, and 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 note the um, education of the Handicapped Act in the in the seventies. That was good. Um, you mentioned five hundred eight in the Rehab Act, and my goodness, that started in what was that, nineteen seventy three or seventy yeah, four?
2: Seventy three, yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, you
0: know, and we're still talking about five hundred eight.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, we're talking about 508, Section which was 504, part of it. which yeah. is in the foundation of a yeah. couple of our lawsuits. Right. The Rehab Act to go along with the Architectural uh, Barriers uh, Act in right. 1968 that, that helped us sort of get into the whole right. uh, built environment and requirements for accessibility in the built environment. You yeah, go back, and
0: here we are still, still addressing those issues, there's a hospital here in town that I guess you would say uh, it sort of complied with some of the tactile marking issues related to the ADA, but a couple of years ago, someone was in that hospital, and guess where the Braille markings were, at the elevators? Above the elevator. So you, you had to be about eight feet tall, you know, to read the Braille. So, um, and things are just, we still encounter Things that um, are not uh, that that aren't quite as they should be. Every year, when we go to a convention hotel, we start working with a convention hotel. Um, Marjorie Beeman goes in in November, October, November, and she goes around and looks at every single meeting room and sleeping room to make sure that the braille and the large print is correct. And Eric, she has pages and pages of things that either need to be corrected or that aren't there. Right. And this right. is 25 years later and it's just it's just the way it happens. Sometimes there'll be braille markings on rooms but it will say the wrong thing. And what happens is that placard comes in ready to be put on the wall and it's got the right print on it and they never the hotel staff and they don't have someone come in to be sure the Braille is correct, and so the room says the wrong thing in Braille. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had that happen several times, inside inspecting hotels.
2: You know what's interesting, though? Um, here we are, and we're comp- sort of, not complaining, but we're observing
0: uh-huh. these,
2: um, these uh, th- things that still need to be correct. corrected. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are people living in countries around the world that, that aren't even uh, considered... Worthy of education because of their right. disability,
0: They're not they would not
2: allowed out of, out of their.
0: Homes. Oh, they would never and go to a hotel.
2: <laughs> exactly, and so um, what is what is really uh, makes me so proud to to live in this country is that we've come so far, yes, and we've provided a lot of hope to people with disabilities around the world, and not just hope, but we've provided them uh, a blueprint for how to be able to. Uh, fight for uh, the rights that, that frankly every every person should have.
0: True, uh, true. Uh, That's irrespective a great point of where you live. Yes, um, the
2: right to uh, a good education, the right to have the the opportunity to to become employed, the right to be able to live on your own. Uh, yeah. if if one can uh, demonstrate the ability to do so, right. you know. So right. there is. Uh, Something really outstanding that we've done and we've highlighted through these various laws and all this, and it is quite um, easy to see the shortcomings and to see the the challenges that we still face. True. Because uh, as, as people who are blind or visually impaired, we know keenly what still needs to be done. But when looking back on things and when looking just uh, around the world, even in, in some... Uh, first world countries, um, we have it really good, and you know that's we not do. to say we should rest on our <laughs> laurels, but yeah. but we uh, we've we've fought really hard for the rights that we have. Some of the some of the um, the laws that we've had enacted mm-hmm. have helped because of the structure of our of our government and our right. uh, the Congress and the the equal branches of government and people being willing to listen, which frankly is probably not going to happen in some of those countries around That's the world right. just because right. of how they're led. Right. But we have so much opportunity, so much more than really anywhere else in the world, and uh, it's it's pretty fantastic. I think there's a happy medium where we need to keep our eye on the prize, like what we want, but then also...
1: Um,
0: we do need to be so glad for what we have, yes. and... And when we look back and we see how far we have come, it, it it is a very happy ADA 25th anniversary. Yes. Yep. Well, Eric, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's really been great to review where we've come from and the things that we still have to do. And that just lets you know that there's all kinds of work still to be done in the advocacy world. It never ends. It doesn't.
1: Page 3. Brian Charlson talks about the advantages of adding the Apple Watch to your high-tech toolbox. This interview was recorded for the August 28, 2015 edition of SoundPrints. First off, uh, everybody needs to understand that the reason Brian Charlson has an Apple Watch is because people kept asking him, should I get an Apple Watch? What would it do for me? What won't it do for me? those mm-hmm. kinds of things.
0: So and you got the, one to find out.
1: Yeah, I, I had to get one to find out. And since I was going to get one anyway, I wanted to make sure I got a really nice one. Now, I didn't get the $16,000 solid gold one, you understand. Oh, good. <laughs> but I did get the larger of the two. They come in either 38 or 42 millimeter size. Okay. So I think a man would tend to wear the, the 42 and a woman the 38.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's shaped rectangular, meaning... It's wider across your wrist than from hand to elbow. Okay. And it has all rounded edges on it. Take a cube or a a block of wood and round off all corners so that they're fully what they call quarter round on all sides. Mm -hmm. Then take a band and attach it around it. I have what they call the melanese band. It's a woven metal band, and the clasp of the band is actually... A little magnet so the band goes from one side of the watch across the underside of my wrist loops through a loop on the far side of the watch and then comes back toward the first side again and at the end of that is this little magnet so it tightens as comfortable as I've ever had a watch I love the band of this watch so I'm going to try hard to separate what the watch does versus what the watch band does. (laughs) Okay. This is a little thicker than people are used to if they're wearing a standard tactile or braille watch, um, because it is a computer that you're wearing on your wrist, albeit a computer with very specific functions that it accomplishes. I'm going to use a term to describe parts of it, and these are terms that I've learned in using the watch, but not terms that I was all that familiar with before I started wearing this watch. First off, it has two buttons which typically you place on the hand side of your wrist. One's round and one's rectangular. The round one is called the digital crown, and the rectangular one is called the friend button. The watch itself is very much like an iPhone in that it's a touch screen device, but it has one extra thing that iPhones don't currently have, though they're rumored to have it in the future. And that is in addition to touching it, you can also press it at the right time and it actually can follow pressure commands as opposed to touch commands i'm going to simply put my finger on the center of it give it a little press
3: PM.
1: and it said the time the two ways things get displayed on this watch are what they call the clock face or the standard screen so when it first comes on it's on clock face and you can choose from a variety of clock faces, which really means where you want information to be displayed on the screen. Again, that little crickety noise you may have heard, was it going to sleep? Because you're always concerned about how long the battery's going to last. Hmm. And by the way, I charge this every night and wear it all day. Sometimes I wear it two days on a single charge. Hmm. And the charging mechanism is rather different in an Apple kind of way, not an Apple iPhone but a Mac. It uses magnetism to hold the watch against the charger. So there's no hole or thing you have to plug in. It just rests against the charger magnetically and charges in that fashion. Anyway, so I have the face on here right now. I'll bring it back to life. 8.07 p.m. And I'm going to touch the upper left-hand corner of the screen. 60,
3: unread notifications.
1: And it says unread notifications. So the first thing this watch can do is read me an e-notification. So if I've installed software that tells me when there's going to be uh, possible rain, that kind of thing, there's one called Dark Sky, then the notification on here will automatically tell me when the weather's going to be bad in five minutes. I'm going to have to keep waking it up uh, as I talk because it keeps going to sleep.
3: Right.
1: Then it gives me the time along the top.
3: 79 degrees.
1: Tells me the temperature.
3: Tuesday, August twenty fifth.
1: Gives me the date.
3: All alarms off.
1: And I've set alarms using alarm. this. In the center, so those three of those across the top, three across the bottom, and in the center, I have
3: simple. Modular.
1: Oops, it went to try Double to set to with. let's try again.
3: 8 to 8 8 to 8 30
1: it has my calendar. call. So oh. it told you that I was going to have this conference call interview this evening. Mm-hmm. And it alerted me to that when I was upstairs, so that I could remember to race down here to the man cave for this interview. All of this is on the watch face. Mm-hmm. In addition, if I press the digital crown one time, very much like the home button on an iPhone, I can then go through all of the programs that I have the watch version of.
3: Sixty-three percent battery power. Eight o nine p.m. Okay,
1: let's try this again.
3: Home. Clock.
1: So there's clock.
3: World clock.
1: World clock. Alarm. Alarm.
3: Around me. Around me,
1: which is GPS. At bat. At bat, my favorite uh, Major (laughs) League Baseball program. Camera. Camera. Music. Music. Maps. Maps. GPS works on this. Fantastical. Fantastical, which is my calendaring program. Phone. Calendar. Calendar. Weather. Weather. Mail. Mail. So what can my iWatch do for me, or my Apple Watch do for me? Many, many things. But most of what it can do requires that you connect it, that is wirelessly, to your iPhone. Because it's not really connecting to the Internet except by way of your iPhone.
0: If you've got to have an iPhone anyway, so you have the phone and now you have the watch. Isn't isn't that duplicating?
1: It is, it is, but it's different in this respect. Last night before I went to bed, I held down the digital stem and I said, set alarm for 6 a.m. Okay. And I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. At 6 o'clock this morning, the Apple Watch on my wrist vibrated to wake me up. Okay. How would I do that with an iPhone?
0: Well, it would be more like an alarm clock.
1: So here, it vibrates on my wrist, and I didn't wake up Kim. I see. a private clock to wake me up in the morning. Yes, okay. So I get up in the morning and um, I do exercise. I go to the gym uh, five days a week. And I can set this thing to monitor how much exercise I'm getting Mm -hmm. and also my heart rate so that I can kind of compare Ah. whether or not I'm getting better in terms of cardiovascular kind of health or not. And so
0: you can can get that kind of monitoring on the iPhone, but... It has to be in your pocket or attached to you some way, whereas with a watch, it's right on your wrist.
1: Right on your wrist. And as a result, it's also significantly more accurate.
0: Right. right.
1: Uh, next, I use it, I was up in the kitchen cooking dinner just before I came down, and so I set an alarm with this to uh, deal with cooking. And I have to I'll be honest with you, while I can use some cooking apps on my iPhone, I'm Forever trying to remember where I sat it down while I'm cooking.
0: <laughs> no, I have that problem too. <laughs> it's
1: on my wrist, so it's yeah. always, always with me and mm-hmm. doing those kinds of things.
0: Do you have to have the phone with you for the watch to work, or do you just have to have it somewhere in reasonable proximity?
1: Well, it's, it's kind of a cross between Bluetooth connectivity,
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: within 30 feet. Okay. Okay. And Wi-Fi connectivity. When both of them are in the same Wi-Fi area, Uh you get significantly farther away from your phone to do those kinds of things. I see. So One of the things I do, for example, is I'll plug my phone in its charger uh, on the table next to my chair in the living room and go to bed, and yet this thing will still react to notifications that require the Internet while I'm wearing it to bed.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And my dad, it's, while they will not guarantee that it's waterproof, it's darn close to it. hmm I know this has taken much more water abuse than my iPhone ever has. You've you, tested it, you right? It <laughs> you jump in the shower with your watch on. You do dishes with your watch on. Uh, yesterday, well, no, Sunday, I defrosted the freezer. Oh, dear. my watch on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you get a little wet doing that. Yeah. And uh, it survived just fine. Just fine. Yeah. So those are the kinds of reasons, I think. I do use it off and on throughout my day. Um, I put my phone on mute, but I let my watch ring. And it's a much more subtle ring than my phone is. You know, when your phone goes off, everybody starts tapping their pockets to see if it's their phone that did it? (laughs) Yeah. That's not occurred with my Apple Watch. Mm -hmm. My Apple Watch, it has a distinct ring, and yes, I can choose what the ring would be, but it has a distinct ring, and it vibrates while it rings, Mm -hmm. on my wrist, not in my pocket, you know, if it's in your pocket and it's vibrating frequently, you don't know that it's vibrating. Yeah. This,
0: And if it's on the table, if your phone is on a table and it starts vibrating, oh my goodness, the the noise it makes. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. That's right. Exactly. So, but if it's in your pocketbook or purse, whatever part of the country you come from, you're not going to necessarily feel it vibrate if you have it on um, mute, if that's you That's correct. So
3: yes, that's correct.
1: Things. The other one that I found really interesting, I haven't used it enough yet to know that it would be a game changer for me, but I did use the GPS simply saying to the phone by way of the watch, because it's kind of like Dick Tracy. You talk to the watch <laughs> cause it has a microphone in it and a speaker in it. Yeah. And you give your Siri command to um, give me directions to the nearest Safeway
3: Okay. Uh-huh.
1: And it tells you what, the, what that is, and you agree to it, and it displays, you know, the turn-by-turn directions. Right. But what's really cool about it is as I'm walking along with it, whenever I'm approaching a corner at which I must turn, it will vibrate in a... Boo, Oh,
0: your watch does that.
1: When yeah. I'm to turn right. Uh-huh. When I'm to turn left at the next intersection, it just does a constant.
0: Oh, wow! Operation. That's so, neat.
1: Again, you know, one of the problems with GPS on iPhones is something's talking to you all the time, and that's a bit distracting. Yes. So, in this regard. Also, you might not
0: be able to hear it if it, if yes. you have loud traffic.
1: Exactly. So what I really want to know about that next intersection I come to, is do I turn left or right? Yes. And if it doesn't do either as you come to the intersection, what do you do?
0: We you go cross straight. Straight ahead. Right. right. Correct. So
1: it really is nice in in that regard. So the downside, because the downside is as important as the upside of these things.
0: That's right.
1: Yet to purchase a piece of technology <laughs> that didn't have a downside to it. You're right. First off. Everything I've tried to do on it has been fully accessible. Using voiceover, it works really well. I have paired it with a Bluetooth earpiece, the uh, Plantronics Bluetooth earpiece. Okay. And you can pair two things to that earpiece. So both my phone and my Apple Watch are paired to it. If I touch the phone to find out what time it is, it's not speaking it aloud. It's speaking it through my Bluetooth earpiece.
3: Mm -hmm. So it
1: becomes kind of a private talking watch in that regard. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to having an app on it that would allow me to get tactile indication mm-hmm. um, through through that whole haptic buzz business as a way to tell what time it is. The mm-hmm. app doesn't exist yet for that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the downside is it's not inexpensive. You know, right. <laughs> the game starts at 350 to $450, mm-hmm. and because mine's the bigger watch, it's the stainless steel, not the aluminum case. Mm-hmm. It's the fancier band that not only looks fancier, but is a, a much more form-fitting band.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All of those drove the price up to $740. Wow. So it's not cheap. Yeah. Um, the other negative to it, in my opinion, is this is version 1.0.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The first true, you know, there are things like Fitbits and Pebbles and and other kind of wristband-worn things. But when it really comes to a full-featured smart watch, this is version 1.0.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I would not, generally speaking, buy the first of its kind. Right. Uh, I would wait till they figure out not only how to fix the bugs,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but... What other kinds of things, with literally millions of people using them, people are coming up with that they think they would like it to do, some of which are going to require a hardware change, not a software change. So I'm now locked in to this watch, mm-hmm. as you would be for an iPhone uh, you know, data plan with your carrier. Uh, probably I can't justify buying it. the new version 2.0 when it comes out, Mm-hmm. I'll have to wait till the 3O comes out. Yeah. Uh, before I could justify setting this one aside or passing it along to somebody else.
0: Mhm. So it's not tied to any any cellular plan or anything like that. It's
1: freestanding. It's connected to your yeah. iPhone plan. Yeah. Do it's you have like to buy a
0: data plan with it?
1: No. Because okay. it does everything through your phone for anything that's internet.
0: So it's truly the price of the watch um, and that's that.
1: And that's that, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Does it work with iPhone 5s as well as 6s? Yes. Okay. So
1: so, uh, so you can do a 5. Again, the, what matters is the operating system that you're running under.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: currently, the same operating system you use for 5s and up. When they released they watch, they released a new update of the iOS, and that was downwardly compatible to fives, because the fives had the appropriate processing speed. Yeah. The fives had the, you know, you couldn't put that newest OS down on a four.
0: Right. Well, it sounds fascinating. It really does. Tell us quickly about the friends button. What is that?
1: Ah. So the friends button is how you turn it on and off, mm-hmm. but also...
3: 8.21 p.m. Glances.
1: It gives me the ability to interact with the apps that are on the phone more readily. So you know how on your contacts on your iPhone, Mm -hmm. you have people that you make friends? Yes. So that they're a higher priority than all your other contacts? Okay. The friends button gives me quick access to all of that friends information. So I can quickly bring up a list of people I want to call because there is no keyboard on an Apple Watch. Okay. So you can't type in things. Are you with me? You can yes. select things. You can flick left, right. You can do a two-finger double, you know, two double tap and a, a swipe up and down and those kinds of gestures.
0: <laughs> All those I, kinds of things, but no typing.
1: To, you're never going to fit a QWERTY keyboard mm-hmm. on this. Okay, So the best way to do it is to go over and use your contacts on your iPhone mm-hmm. and select individuals that you want to have quickest access to by mm-hmm. making them a friend, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of those show up on your iWatch accessible through the Friends button.
0: Uhhuh. so basically the round button sort of takes you app to app, that kind of thing?
1: Well, the round button is like a home button Yes. on yeah. an iPhone. Mm-hmm. It does many of those functions. So, if you wanted to um, quickly turn off VoiceOver, you do a three three taps
0: uh-huh.
1: of the digital crown. Yes. Turn an on and off VoiceOver once you've had VoiceOver started.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you double tap it if you wanted to get in and truly close apps, things along those lines, like you would do with a home button. Mm-hmm. In general, the friends button is all about connecting you up to that list of people
3: mm-hmm. that
1: you might want to text mm-hmm. or call or email
3: mm-hmm.
1: by way of the watch rather than by way of the phone, utilizing Siri and dictation to avoid the use of a keyboard.
0: It seems to me that on the iPhone with dictation, it's always, the chatter is always getting in the way of what you want to do. You know, it's it's talking when you want to be talking.
1: And that's another difference in the Apple Watch. While Siri will listen to you, Siri doesn't talk to you. Mm. It's voiceover that does the talking, not Siri. Okay. That slows down, you know, that eliminates some of the back and forth between the phone and the watch and the watch and the phone. <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess all the so. Time.
1: So it, it really does, you know, at first that sounds like a negative, but it quite honestly is a positive.
0: Oh, I guess so, because they can have gives, great conversations.
1: <laughs> normally you hold down the home button till it makes the beepy noise, right? Yeah. Then you make your request of Siri, mm-hmm. and then it makes another beepy noise and clicks and hums and haws to itself, and then eventually Siri comes back with an answer.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, with this, when I, I hold down the digital crown, I'll get that little vibrate sensation, what they call a tap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. That's equivalent of the beeping. Okay. Then I release it, I say my command, I feel another tap on the wrist that indicates that it's done listening and it's now thinking about it. Mm-hmm. There is a little what they call latency. Mm-hmm. Because remember, everything I ask of the watch is being channeled through the phone and then out to the internet and back to the phone and back to the watch. Wow. A little extra time between the request and the actual uh, Compliance with things, okay. But otherwise, all the Siri commands that you're used to are still working because they're working using your watch as a portal to your phone.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so if someone calls you, do you answer it on your watch or on your phone?
1: The answer is either one that you feel comfortable with at the moment. Whichever one you do a two-finger double tap to.
0: You oh, van- so you can either one then. Correct. And in the same way, I guess, hanging it up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If you had it to do over, if you didn't need to have the watch to answer all of our questions, you were just going out to buy it, would you buy the watch?
1: My answer is, at the moment that I bought it, the answer would have been no. Now that I've used it, the answer is yes, but I'd probably buy the cheapest one I could buy, Mm -hmm. not the higher end one.
0: So you could upgrade it when you wanted to.
1: Well, I could (laughs) abandon it, you know, when version 2.0 came out. If I only had $350 in the watch, as opposed to $750 Uh, in the watch, (laughs) I'm going to have to amortize that $750.
0: Especially when it's in the watch band.
1: Exactly. And understand, the band that it comes with, the the less expensive, you've got a variety of colors you can choose. Hmm? But really, it's more like one of those, what do they call those, um, they're not quite throwaway watches. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, Swatches, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh Swatch, where you go into uh, a Walmart or something and you walk away with a watch for $20, $30. Yeah. The band on the standard Apple Watch is of that nature.
0: See, if I was going to buy a $350 watch, um, if I decide I want one of those, I'm going to want a nicer band because... You know, that's one of the things with Braille watches. They came with those ugly-looking bands. I always liked the, you know, the stretch bands, if it had a silver look to it or whatever. But to get a real cheesy-looking band with a watch that you're paying a lot of money for, somehow just doesn't quite get it with me.
1: It's got to look the part. If you were to buy the original, the least expensive Apple Watch, Mm Mm-hmm. The band that it comes with is made out of a, what they'll tell you is a special polymer (laughs) that keeps it shine.
0: Yeah, I bet. Very
1: very durable. Uh But you know what it feels like?
0: Yeah.
1: Split plastic. Uh Uh-huh. Okay?
0: Well, plastic can be a special polymer, you know. That's what it is.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So what I would do is I'd buy the band of my dreams
0: Mm -hmm. that's
1: available at the time. Because one of the spectacular things about these watch bands is they are very easily changed.
0: And supposedly they won't change the size of it enough, so you have to buy a new band.
1: I think that they would run into, shall we say, a significant amount of flack from their early adopters.
0: You never know, Brian. If they
1: were to do that. Now, (laughs) Look how they
0: changed the phones and their sizes and cases, you know.
1: Exactly, but they didn't (laughs) sell the cases.
0: Oh, that's true.
1: That's true. This one, they're the only ones who can make the watch because it's a patented um, connector.
0: And they haven't
1: allowed third-party manufacturing of them as of yet.
0: And Apple doesn't typically do that kind of thing. They like to keep that in-house.
1: Like you said, they did with things like uh, cases and and, uh, boom box adapters and those things. But they didn't with the device itself.
0: Mm -hmm. And even when
1: you go out and buy a third-party charger. yeah. Boy, that operating system, the next update of the operating system will tell you, uh, we don't think you have a correct charger (laughs) attached. It will still charge.
0: Yeah.
1: But it will tell you that it's it's not confident this is all going to work. So those kind of things may play a part in this. I, I have to be honest with you and your listeners and say that I really doubted that I was ever going to be a person who was going to do a lot of wearable computing, Mm -hmm. meaning not the phone in the pocket or the (laughs) iPad on the table or the computer laptop or whatever, Mm -hmm. but literally ones I'd be strapping things to myself to do. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, But people will tell you, I get up in the morning, before I leave the house, i got the Bluetooth earpiece in my ear. (sighs) And now I wear it, and... You know how you always say, check for your wallet, your watch, and your glasses? Yeah. Before leaving the house, I also check for my Apple Watch and my Bluetooth earpiece. not complete until I'm fully dressed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, this is really neat. You hear so much about the Apple Watch, and I've often said many times, I don't know why I would even want one. I mean, if it's not going to do anything more than my phone does. But the points as to why a person would want a watcher are all very true. And so I really appreciate you visiting with us and talking about the watch and answering questions and general day-to-day use of the watch and and your opinions of it. It's been really, really helpful. Appreciate it very much.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. And I guess the final advice is wait for 2.0 if you haven't already bought. Mm -hmm. I think you'll see some things in 2.0 that are going to make the difference for a lot of doubters at this point.
0: Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar. Unless otherwise indicated, conference calls on this calendar are to be held at 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. January 6. KCB PR Membership Committee meeting be at 8 p.m. on the conference line. On January 7, the American Council of Blind Lions will hold its conference call for lions around the country. We will share ways to be involved in our local clubs. 9 p.m. Eastern at 712-432-3900, code 796096. On January 8, The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its first roundabout of the year, and it will include education and technology from 3.30 to 6, a sharing time at 5 o'clock, dinner at 6.15, $5 a person, and a special activity to be announced on next week's calendar. Roundabouts are held at United Crescent Hill Ministries at 150 South State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for information and reservations. There will also be roundabouts in January on the 15th, the 22nd, and the 29th. On January 9, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board will meet at 11 a.m. by phone on the conference line. January 11, the KSB Advisory Board will meet from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Kentucky School for the Blind, 1867 Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. For more information, call the school at 502-897-1583. Also on the 11th, the Bluegrass Council will hold its next community outing from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Contact them at 859-259-1834. January 12th will be the first meeting of the year for the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired Savvy in Owensboro. The meeting time is 1 to 3 p.m. Central, and it's held at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, contact Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. You can also email at owensboro at kentucky-acb.org. On January 14, the Northern Kentucky Council will hold its first 2016 meeting at 7 p.m. by phone. The call-in number is 605-475-4700, and the code is one five five six one nine. For more information about the Northern Kentucky Council, call Jerry Slesher at 859-781-7369. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org.